New Yorkers are more likely to die of drug overdoses than from homicides, suicides, and car crashes combined. Welcome to SBH Bronx Health Talk, produced by SBH Health System and broadcast from the beautiful studios at St. Barnabas Hospital in the Bronx. I'm Faith Daniel. Addiction has plagued the U.S. for years, but in recent years, the problem has grown significantly worse, especially within the Bronx. In 2017, the Bronx had the largest number of deaths due to drug overdose in New York City. While opioid addiction can't be discussed without talking about the social determinants of health, such as income, employment, housing, education, and access to health services, at the same time, addiction does not discriminate, and no age, race, or socioeconomic class is immune. With me today to discuss the issue of addiction is Jennifer Rogers, Administrative Director of the Addiction Medicine Department at St. Barnabas Hospital. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. So let's begin by discussing the department's inpatient treatment program. Who is likely to be admitted to this unit and what services do we offer? Sure. So our inpatient unit is a 24-bed co-ed locked detox unit. Um, it is available for patients going through both opiate or alcohol withdrawal. There's one pathway right now to detox, and that is through our emergency department. They will be seen by a medical doctor as well as a KSAC counselor who is trained in addiction medicine and can do the proper assessments to determine who is best to be admitted. Our average length of stay is about three to five days. And this level of care is primarily for patients that are looking to get off of any type of substance that they are currently addicted to. So we do opiate and alcohol withdrawal, and it's usually the first phase of treatment. So somebody that's newly coming off of something, whether it be drinking or prescription drugs, drugs that they're buying off of the street, and their body is physically dependent on the chemical, they will require the hospital stay to physically detox them off of the drug. And what does withdrawal look like? Sure. So there are several industry standard tools that we use to identify the symptoms and rate those symptoms to know if somebody is in severe versus moderate versus minimal withdrawal. And we reserve the detox level of care for the more, I would say, moderate to severe withdrawal. There are some detoxes that can be done outpatient and that would be the more um, minimal to moderate withdrawal. But for, um, in terms of symptoms, I would say we're looking at things like increased heart rates, sweats, uh, stomach upset, nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, something we call tachycardia, which is increased heart rate. There's also body aches. With alcohol withdrawal, there's a risk of seizures in some patients. So that's where we really want to have the contained 24-hour um, level of care that we have just to watch for things like that. And given those um, symptoms which seem like extremely severe and very uncomfortable for anybody to deal with, um, what are some examples of treatment options to help with um, cope with those withdrawal symptoms and also like help the person to never want to go back? Sure. So when they come into the detox level of care, they're going to be assessed to start on a taper, a medication taper 
for either the opiates or the alcohol where the doctor will bring the dose up and down dependent on their use history, a number of factors, their symptoms, their use history, um, how they're presenting in front of the doctor at that time, and the doctor can then adjust the, the taper as the days go on. The goal is to make the patient comfortable enough where they're not experiencing those severe symptoms every single day. On top of the taper, the doctor will also prescribe what we call comfort medications. And those medications will be to attack things such as the symptoms I just spoke about. So they'll, they'll prescribe medications to stop the stomach upset or to stop the body aches, to bring down the heart rate on top of the taper that the patient is on to stop the, or to help the body wean off the dependency on the substance. Do individuals usually respond well to those treatments? They do. Uh, Patients, um, some patients that have been through several rounds of detox, because not everybody is going to get clean the very first time. And in fact, most statistics say that it does take several attempts at detox before people are getting clean. There Mm. are people that come in and they can get it the first time, but it's not the norm. Is there an average number? Off the top of my head, I want to say maybe six or seven mm. attempts, but I don't, I don't have those numbers. The patients generally are in need of something else. You can't just send somebody into detox and expect that they're going to be treated during the three to five days that they're here and send you out the door, good luck, and send them on their way. It's not going to work that way they're going to need connection to care afterwards. And that's the the problem that we're seeing is that so many patients, either the craving is too strong to go back to that substance, um, the withdrawal symptoms are too much where the patient's just too sick and they wanna go back to the substance, or the psychosocial stressors, their environment, their neighborhood, their um, stressors in life. Um, it could be a number of things where the patient doesn't have enough coping skills to fight that off. They are going to return to use. So we need the patient to be connected to some type of a support system, some type of ongoing treatment to help with that. Um, and I know you mentioned a little bit about the psychosocial um, stressors, but are there any other um, common underlying issues um, that are involved in why people um, turn to drugs or why addiction is so heavy? Sure. So I would say here in the Bronx, uh, the community that we are treating, we see a predominantly high number of people who are on the streets, uh, homeless individuals who are coping with the stressors of living on the streets on a daily basis. And that is their coping mechanism. They're faced with a, a way to escape their reality, their day-to-day life, and they turn to substances to help them cope with that. Some people are are using just, again, that escape reality theme we see throughout things like people turn to drinking and drugs when they're going through family issues, relationship problems, losing a job, a number of things. 
Right. And I think um, that's definitely a reality of living in the Bronx. Like, I'm from the Bronx. And even last weekend, I, like, saw somebody, like, using, like, right next to me. Because on my on my block, there's a lot of abandoned houses. Sure. So it's, mm-hmm. like, an easy place. Um, and I think that that's, like, a place not for judgment. Because we don't know the story behind why someone is, like, getting involved in drugs. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. There's no, like, specific, like, narrative. Especially in the media. There's a lot of um, representation of what it looks like. That's and, right. like the person that works right next to you could be um, struggling so there's no room for judgment and I think Mm -hmm. that's that the point that you just made has been made even more clear recently with the opiate epidemic because this I think historically addiction and issues with substances has been thought to be it's somebody else's problem or it's happening over there and once the opiate crisis hit it kind of took it didn't care your your race, your class, your economic right. status, what neighborhood you were from. We see it across the boards from CEOs of companies down to the homeless guy on the street. It does not discriminate. And quite honestly, that's with every substance. It just became more socially acceptable, I think, with the opiates because it turned into the people, it was more socially acceptable to say I got hooked on a medication that my doctor gave me, or I got this because of an injury. It wasn't my fault. I got started on this and I didn't intend to go to drugs. It just, I ended up that way. Mm, That's interesting. It kind of reminds me of um, the cocaine epidemic that happened in the 90s and how it was like so, like race was such a big Big part of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that with the opioid epidemic, it's pretty similar. It's interesting how like history we plays itself in that way um, and how it's being um, portrayed but I think um, we can't talk about like addiction without including mental health that is such a big factor Um, and if someone is struggling with mental health issues um, what can the OPD clinic offer them and what is the OPD clinic? Okay so we have um, outside of we just talked about the inpatient detox and we also have two outpatient programs the OPD clinic is our outpatient counseling program. Uh, We're located at 4451 Third Avenue. It's directly across the street from the main entrance to the hospital on the second floor of the hemodialysis building. Here we offer groups and individual counseling. We primarily target the non-medication assisted treatment track there. It's for patients that might be a little bit uh, further along in their recovery. They are just in need of support groups, maybe learning more coping skills to deal with the psychosocial stressors, and they're replacing using drugs with coping skills, and they're learning those coping skills in these groups and sessions with their counselor. We also offer in the OPD classes and groups that satisfy various court mandates, so drug court, ACS mandates, domestic violence mandates, DWI mandates, and then um, the topic that you brought up, the mental health side of things. There is really a lot of comorbidity, and comorbidity is just having both the mental health as well as the substance abuse or having one or more diagnoses. A patient is either typically doing one of two things, either self-medicating Maybe they're, they're going through a, a depression or maybe they are have a di- bipolar diagnosis or a mental health diagnosis of some sort 
they're not happy with the medication the doctor gave them and they're using substances, street drugs, alcohol, to self-medicate versus take the intended medication. The flip side of that is there's people out there that have been using drugs and alcohol for so long that they've now done damage to their to their mental health. And so now they've caused almost a, a mental health diagnosis. And what are um, the different treatments in, um, so if somebody that say like if they became so dependent that it caused something versus like if they were coping, is there a different approach to how we do that? Well, here at St. Barnabas, we offer basically just the individual counseling where the counselor will work on the, work with the patient one-on-one versus a larger group setting. So I think there's more, we do see a lot more of here in this program of patients that come in that are self-medicating, that don't want to take the medication either. Maybe they don't have the copay to afford their medication that was prescribed to them for their bipolar disorder, or they are from a family that says, we don't believe in taking this medication. You can, maybe there's an herbal remedy, or maybe we don't, we don't want you to take, we don't want our family to be associated with mental health or taking um, antipsychotics or any type of of medication associated with that that word so the patient is left with going out and using to then self-medicate and so the group setting would be appropriate for that we have a lot more um, there's there's t- there's something I guess across the the board that we can we can focus in on there's more than one person going through it we can have groups regarding how to build up coping skills to handle situations like this or provide psychoeducation which is basically the counselor giving patients information that they might not have had you know prior whereas an individual session you're just focusing right on that patient's individual needs at the time And with these two approaches, do we at St. Barnabas go with the total sobriety um, approach where it's like you um, can't be using while you're in treatment or is it like a harm reduction approach? So we actually have two pathways. We have, I just spoke about the OPD clinic, which is 4451. We also have 4535 Third Avenue, which is our MMTP clinic or our methadone clinic. And that clinic is geared towards Um, more of that harm reduction model or maintenance model where patients are are maybe freshly out of detox and they need, they're not quite there yet. Their body is still going through the physical dependency on the substance. They're still experiencing things like cravings. They're experiencing things such as what we call pause or post-acute withdrawal symptoms where they're having that continued stomach upset, that continued racing pulse, sweats, and they need the medication to kind of ward that off. So the MMTP clinic offers methadone, suboxone, and we also offer Vivitrol. And those are the three maintenance drugs that we currently use. And, you know, it's, it's kind of an assessment um, issue. Somebody comes in, they're not sure, do I want to go the non-medication route or, or do I need the medication? We have patients also that have been on the medication-assisted side for 10 plus years, 20 plus years, where they're just not able to come off the medication. We also have patients that end up getting addicted to their maintenance drugs. So methadone is a big problem. Um, mm. Patients have been, you know, thought that methadone is a wonder drug. I got off, it's the only way I got off heroin. It's the only way I got off of 
any of the opiates and it's the only thing that works for me, but then you're on methadone for 20 plus years and can't get off the methadone. So it, it, there's, there's problems with that as well. And mm-hmm. we're faced with that every day. So I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about the DOH Project Relay. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to know like how successful it's been, what, um, what, is it, what does it entail? And if I was a patient that was admitted for a drug overdose, what would that process look like if they were to be en- enrolled? Sure. So Department of Health um, started a campaign a few years ago by the name of Project Relay, and they partnered with several uh, facilities across the five boroughs in which they would be alerted when somebody came in with a non-fatal opiate overdose. So somebody comes in, they're unconscious, they're brought in by EMS, they end up in the ED, It sends an alert to a team of caseworkers who are trained in the field, and they present immediately to the facility, wherever the facility is. We happen to be one of the facilities they partner with. The case manager will meet with the patient in the ED and attempt to provide psychoeducation on overdose and harm reduction and provide the patient with the Narcan kit, which is the internasal spray that we have in all of our departments and all throughout the facility that can reverse the effects of an opiate overdose. They also, the case manager will also stay with the patient post-discharge from the emergency room to try to help them get connected to care. So they'll stay with them, I believe it's 30 to 60 days after they're discharged to make sure they're connected to a treatment facility, they have what they need, they're going to NA or AA, and they stay in their lives as a source of support to help them get back on track. If they can't meet with them in the ED, the case manager from Project Relay will come up to the detox unit. Sometimes that does happen. Sometimes somebody is just out of it. They're unconscious. They've been revived and brought back to life, and they're feeling miserable. They're not willing to meet with somebody in the ED. So they wait, and maybe a couple of days later up on the unit, the Project Relay case manager can meet with the patient there as well. Has it been successful? Um, Have you had success stories with it? Yeah, we've had a couple of success stories. I don't have much in the way of data yet, but I just know personally from uh, working up on the detox unit and then seeing the patients that actually present to one of the aftercare facilities that we have, the OPD or the MMTP, we've seen a number of patients come through and the referral source is that Project Relay. The case managers from Project Relay also have been instrumental in in making referrals for us, even if it's just a patient that they're not meeting in our ED, they just know them from the community or their work in other places, they'll make referrals to our program, so. Right, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, So to wrap things up, um, my question would be, for any listeners who have family members or friends that are struggling um, with addiction, what advice would you give to them on how to support their loved one? Sure, so I think it's um, the very first thing I would say is something you mentioned earlier, which is that no judgment. Um, I think too many people think of drug use and addiction as a choice, and it is actually now defined as a disease. So think of it as would somebody, a family member that's come to you and told you they have cancer, would you refuse them the help or disown them because of that cancer diagnosis? Um, Addiction is now defined as a disease of the brain, and we have to start treating it as that and take away that stigma. And if someone would like to learn more about the services that's offered here at St. Barnabas, um, where can they find it? 
Sure. So we have the SBH uh, website, sbhny.org, and you can click on the addiction medicine link. We also have the main phone number for information would be 718-960-6214. Any of the people that answer the phone there can give you information about our three programs. We have walk-in appointments five days a week that you can present to either of the ambulatory clinics to be seen. And um, we're trying to get involved in the community, going to more health fairs and seeing people mm-hmm. in the community. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining us at SPH Bronx Health Talk. Again, for more information on services available at St. Barnabas, um, visit www.sphny.org. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.